copy of God's Word to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. This week we're talking about work. Next week we're talking about um, a call to spiritual maturity. And the first week of June, Lord willing, we'll be starting our series on Philippians. Now, if you were here Wednesday night, you will note that this topic is very similar to what you heard Wednesday night. I was sitting next in the back next to Hugh, and I, when uh, Matthew DeLong said tonight we're going to talk about work, I said, Hugh, that's my topic for Sunday. And we said, turn to Colossians three seventeen. I said, Hugh, that's my text for Sunday. So many things had to happen in the Lord's providence to for us to have two sermons on work this week. And so we're not going to fight that providence. We're going to, um, we're going to follow it and uh, learn about work this morning as well. Uh, but we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. Those page numbers are on your outline if, if you need them. Uh, Genesis 2, reading from verses 1 um, through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In that day, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and watering the whole face of the ground, Then the Lord formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. Now our important verse this morning. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you, will sh- you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God, it shall stand forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, for these next few minutes, we pray that you would Direct our attention to your word and to its preach, its preaching, Lord. We pray that you would help us by your spirit, calm our thoughts, and direct us to you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the question I have for us this morning is how should we view our work? Whether work is good or not, and how we should view it. Whether we work in the home, out of it, whether we are students or starting our careers or possibly retired, how should we view the work that, the, that God has called us to? John Calvin, the 16th century theologian, he has this great quote, I know I've given it to you before, 
But to paraphrase it, he says, in every area of life, we have business to do with God. In every area of our life, we have business to do with God. Meaning there's no part of our lives that is not touched, informed, transformed, influenced by our walk with the Lord. When we think about work, it's, it's not something that is peripheral to whom we are. If you think about how much time we spend at work, how could we ever think that we would or should or could check the Lord Jesus in the cloakroom on the way in and pick him up on the way out at 5 p.m.? How could we not think, after spending as much time as we do at work, either retired with your tasks or if you're in your working career or if you're a student, seven hours a day, how can we not think that our relationship with the Lord won't radically transform how we view our work? If you get eight hours of sleep um, each day, which I know for some of you is a pipe dream, but if you were to get eight hours of sleep each day and you work a 40-hour work week, then 35% of your waking time is spent at work. 50-hour work week, you'd be at 45%, and a 60-hour work week at 54% of your waking time. And I commend you to a mathematician to make sure those are right. The thing is, we spend a lot of time at work. And as those who have been transformed by the gospel, as those whose lives have been changed, turned upside down, we've been given life, then our walk with the Lord and who he's made us to be should transform how we view work. So I'd like to explore that this morning in our brief time together. The first question we have to ask is, is work good? Um, You know, it's easy to think about that academically. We would say, to to spoil it for you, work is good. Lawful work is good. But we really don't ever think in academics, do we? For there's real tension here. Certainly work is not good for the seventh grader who is vegging in front of the television. His father walks in and says it's time to cut the grass. Work is not good. Work is not good when you've spent seven days on vacation and the Monday that you come back rolls around and we all know that first Monday is awful and you wonder why in the world did I ever go on vacation. Work doesn't seem good that day. Or perhaps the end of summer vacation for students. Schoolwork does not seem good, or, or summer reading. Did you have summer reading? We did, and uh, even had tests on it when we came back from the summertime. Schoolwork, and it changed. It changed vacation. Suddenly vacation wasn't good because you had to work. There is great tension, because even in our normal jobs, the stress, bad bosses, difficult co-workers, dead-end jobs, perhaps we don't have the hours we need, perhaps we have too many, Perhaps we are called to do too much. Underwork, overwork, these are both problems. And so we see that there is tension. Work is good, but we feel that something's not right. And that's true because we work on this side of the fall. Work was created before the fall, before Adam and Eve sinned. So we know that work is good, but our work has been changed forever. It doesn't mean that work is not good, but it does mean our experience of work has changed. We get that. Look at Genesis 3, just the next page of my Bible. Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19. God and his cursings after the fall says, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. I love this phrase. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. 
by the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, because of their fall, our work isn't always experienced to be good. Um, work is always meant to be hard. It was meant to be hard. Adam and Eve, they, they worked. The idea of paradise that we might have of, of uh, Adam and Eve having no constraints on their time is a false view of the, of the Garden of Eden. I think it perhaps might even be a, a false view of heaven because I think there's good evidence that it will work in heaven as well. But work is, um, has been changed. Work has been um, changed forever. I think about my garden. Last year, uh, we had a lot of great help and the garden turned out well. This year, we had a lot of great help and then some, we enlisted more people. And if you go look at my garden, this phrase thorns and thistles describes well because the thorns and thistles are the only things that are growing. The reality is that work is hard, even when you tend to it, even when you care for it, even when you fertilize it, even when you have someone use their tractor to till it up, even when other people work on it. Work is hard, and work is not only hard, it has been changed. It has been affected by the fall, and it's something that we deal with daily. But here's the thing. Let's not make, uh, make those things, our experience of work, make us think that work is not good. So much of our lives is, and our experience of life is based upon our expectations. When we expect work to be hunky-dory all the time, with no conflict, with no stress, with no hardship, with, without any real hard work, then our, our lives are very difficult because our expectations are one and the experience is another. But when we go into work knowing that, yes, it is good, but also we will face trials, then our experience of that work will be so much better. Work is good, and we know that, first of all, uh, even as Matthew DeLong pointed out Wednesday night, that after God had created the world, he declared it good. We read in, in verses uh, 1 through 3 here that the Lord finished his work. God cannot do anything that is wrong, and so work must be good if he indeed himself worked. And now we are in the seventh day, the day of rest. He worked for six, and now he rested. God created everything that exists, the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. He created the sea and the dry land, the sun and the moon, and the 300 sextillion stars that we know of. He created the smallest tadpole and the monarch butterfly. He created the small worm and the T-Rex, the ugliest moth and the prettiest eagle. All these things he made, and he made them, and he declared it to be good. But then we see the crowning achievement in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. This word to form is, is the verb that is used elsewhere in Scripture to speak of a potter and what he does to take clay and to form it into a bowl or to a cup. And so the Lord took the dust and he formed, he spun, he created out of clay, he worked the clay to make man. Work is good. Your work, if it is lawful, is good. God created man to work. Part and parcel of who we are is we are made to work. Our default setting, you know, when you buy a phone or a computer or a car, there's always a default setting, and then you can go and change it. Our default setting is not idleness. I feel like oftentimes we operate that way. Our default setting is not idleness. Our default setting is work. 
And then we rest, and God gives us the great gift of rest. God created us to work, and we see that in 2.15 here in Genesis. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Here's the thing, whether we are working in the home or out of the home, We've been called to follow the same example, the same charge to work and to keep. These are significant words in the Hebrew. And later in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, uh, we find these words used to describe the role of the priest in the tabernacle to serve. Work also means serve. To serve the Lord and to guard it, to keep uh, his commandments. It means to take great exercise or to exercise great care of. To keep is, is a word, is, is what the, the priest does in the temple, is what a guard does for a city, is what a shepherd does for a flock. And as we will hear the benediction at the end of our service today, the Lord bless you and keep you. This is what the Lord does for you. He guards you. He provides for you. And so when, when God put Adam and Eve into the garden, he put them in there to work it and to take great, uh, exercise great care of it. Let me ask you something. How do you view your work? Either in school, at home, retired, working. Maybe you're getting close to retirement. Perhaps you can't uh, think retirement will ever come. It certainly can't come uh, soon enough. How do you view your work? Do you see it as Good. Under, under all of that morass and all of the, the extra and all of the hardships and all of the tension, do you see your work is fundamentally good? If it's allowed by God, if it's something that, that the Lord allows by his will, it doesn't go against scripture or oppress the poor or fleece folks out of money or things like that, your work is good. How do you view your work? Do you have the same idea as Adam and Eve to, to, to work and to keep it, to exercise great care of it? Or are you just working for the weekend? I think that's kind of become our default of our culture. As you, as you work harder in the week so that you can really live on the weekend. Living is what happens on the weekend. And not what we are called to do the whole week through. We think of, you know, eight to five or whatever your hours are. We think of these hours really aren't my own. And I go and do these things because I have to so that I can actually live. Well, well Scripture would seem to indicate, well, that's not true. That... That part of living is working. So how do you view your work? As those who have been transformed by the Lord, perhaps our hearts need to continue to be transformed as we think about our work. We'll turn, if you will, to Colossians chapter 3 as we um, consider how we should work. How we should work. Colossians 3, starting at verse 17 We read uh, Paul writing this, the Holy Spirit, this is God's word. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven." 
Well, is work good? Yes. The question is, how should we work? If work is good, this means that we can't dismiss it. We can't just say, um, it doesn't matter what I do from eight to five. If work is good, it means that the Bible transforms how we work. How we work. The first that we find is that we are to work in the name of the Lord, even as we spoke of with the children's sermon. Whatever you do in word, what you say, or, or yeah, word or deed, what you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, do you have this Godward attitude in your work? Do you have this Godward attitude in your work, whether it's working in the garden, if you're tired working at the church, helping your fellow man, helping your neighbor? If you're a student, I know I sure didn't. Do you have a Godward mentality in your work? Are you doing it in your name, out of your own strength, for your own glory? Or are you doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? I think there are two ways that we can think of in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the first is according to his will, according to his word. There are jobs that Christians cannot take. There are jobs that Christians cannot take. And we may increasingly be part of a culture where there are more and more jobs that a Christian cannot take. For instance, uh, in many teaching hospitals, an OB nurse has to participate in or at least observe an abortion before he or she can work in an OB ward. You can't do that. You can't do that. There may be lines of work that... um, require you to to prey upon the poor. You can't do that. We are called to do all things in his name, and if if the word does not allow us to do those things, then we have to look for other work. But it also means, as we do things according to his word, it means that we love our co-worker. Because the Bible says that you are to love the Lord, the Lord your God, and the second great commandment, to love your neighbor. We go a lot of times trying to quibble about what neighbor means, but it certainly means your neighbor in your cubicle next to you, or the person in the fire engine next to you, or the person in the office next to you. These are your neighbors. You love them. And so we fulfill our call of God's people in the workplace. That's what it means to do things according to his word. But I think even more significantly for our experience of it is we do it in dependence of his name. That we operate in dependence, not independence. We work in dependence upon the Lord and his strength. Have you ever taken a job you thought you could do in your own strength and fallen flat on your face? I know I have. And Indeed, anytime I think I can do any job on my own, the Lord graciously allows me to fall on my face. We are called to live in every area of our life, at work and play where we live, in dependence upon the Lord. This means that whatever field you're in, that you invite the Lord to be a part of it. You have that Godward attitude of what you're doing. You're God-oriented in what you do. And, and, and throughout the day, you're praying and asking for the Lord for help and asking the Lord for strength and asking the Lord for wisdom. It means the student depends upon the Lord for strength. When studying for a major exam, you know the God, our God is the God of all truth, not just the truth of the Bible, but also math, also calculus, also pre-cal, also trig, also history. It means the accountant or the lawyer prays for wisdom as he navigates the complexities of law. 
It means to counsel or seek the Lord's guidance when dealing with difficult situations. It means the teacher relies on the Lord's guidance when the class is out of control. It means that the doctor turns to the Lord in prayer for his patience in addition to the uh, squibbles, scribbles on his uh, prescription pad. Are you operating in dependence upon the Lord for work? But I think the greatest one is an attitude change. If you find yourself having a bad attitude towards your work, you really can't change that on your own. You need the Lord. Ask the Lord to help you to have a different attitude about your work. And the first step of that is the end of this verse in thanksgiving, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. Well, the text goes on and and it says that we are to do things heartily and sincerely. This means we can't do things half-hearted. It means we can't do things half-hearted. We can't um, just cut corners. In fact, the, the Greek translation, or the Greek literally says to work from the soul, from the very bottom of who you are. Whatever you do, work heartily. I remember my last semester of college, I worked as a barista, or baristo, I think that's the, the male version of that, a, a, someone who worked in a coffee shop. And I didn't like coffee at the time. It's difficult to work heartily unto the Lord when you don't like coffee and you work in a coffee shop. You go home smelling like it. You're, all your clothes smell like it. Um, but it was harder even that because it was a startup coffee shop. And so there would be uh, long afternoons where we'd have one visitor, one patron, maybe not even that. Now, the, the owner of my job, my employer, employers own our jobs. My employer told me, Parker, I know you're in school, but I don't want you ever studying here. Now, I didn't like that, but I had to abide by it. And so I had these long afternoon shifts where there wouldn't be anybody there, and I could not study. It was hard, hard to work heartily unto the Lord with sincerity. I can't always say I did it well. The flip side of, of working heartily out of our souls, and whatever God has called us to do, whether it be a janitor to mop floors or the CEO of a, of a major five, Fortune 500 company, whatever we're doing, we're called to do it heartily. The, the opposite of that here is of eye service and people pleasers. Now the context here, I must say, is that of a, of a bond servant or a slave and, and a master. We don't have time to get into the complexities of that, but, but let me just say in passing that the Bible um, speaks very clearly against what we have experienced, American form of chattel slavery. So, so please be aware of that. This is talking to slaves or bond servants uh, who are already in their positions, how they are to act. Okay, what now? I'm a Christian, what do I do now? And so to so this context, he says, hey, don't be, don't be um, people pleasers. Don't give just eye service. Do you feel the tension there? D- don't just do it just, just to be seen. Don't do it just to please the person who is above you. And we can interpret this for us as we do our work as well with employees and employers. That we are not to just do it eye service, which means eye, um, eye slavery is the, the, te- the literal translation of it. Um, just when they're looking or people pleasers just to win their favor. Because this is what we're meant to do. We're supposed to work in all things for the Lord. And this is what transforms everything. Work is good. How are we to work? We're to work heartily unto the Lord. And here's the thing we are to work because ultimately God is our boss. He is ultimately our master. He's ultimately our Lord. He is ultimately our supervisor. 
Whatever you do, do heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus. Does it feel like on Monday morning when everything is busting loose that you're serving the Lord Jesus? And what, how would it change your experience of that if you had that mentality? I'm working for the Lord and not for this, um, well, I can't say this word, you know, somebody that I don't like. How would it change that? How would your attitude change if you were really working for the Lord when things got really tough? See, on the one hand, he sees everything, so there's no cutting corners. But think about who our boss is, who our supervisor is. Think about who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He's not some graceless taskmaster. He's the one who has died for us. He is our advocate. He loves us. He came and shed his blood for us. This means that, that all of our work has dignity and all of it has value. When you're mopping the floors, you can mop the floor to the glory of God. When you're dealing with difficult, difficult customers, you can do it to the glory of God. You can do it in his name and even pray for those people. It means there's not a divide between the secular and sacred. So often we think about those who are working for the Lord as just those who are in full-time ministry. But that's, that's not what this text says. This text isn't, doesn't say anything about preachers. This, this, this text talks about those who are caught in a situation in which they cannot change. He says, you are serving Christ. It means whatever you're called to, you are serving Christ where the God has called you. As those who have been transformed by the Lord, we should also have transformed views of work. And I think there's real tension between a biblical view of work and a worldly view of work. I encourage you to reflect on, on, on the cross work of Christ. Because here, here's the thing. We do all this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself worked first as a carpenter, as a common laborer, a job with, with very little dignity, a, a job with very little security. He worked, and he worked, and he worked. And then he worked on the cross for you. See, his call, his vocation, his job, what he was called to do was to to satisfy the wrath of God on the cross for you. To fulfill the law on your behalf that you might have salvation. And this he did because he loves us. This is the kind of person whom we work for. Our Savior who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that Christ came not to be served, but to serve, to work, um, and to give his life as a ransom, the debt that was owed for the souls of his people. So Lord, I pray that as we interact with the gospel, as we interact with your word, I pray that it would impact every area of our lives where and how we work, where and how we live, where and how we play. Lord, that you might be glorified in every stitch of our lives. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.